Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, a Bloomberg Law reporter smears a Department of Labor official, San Francisco incinerates constitutional norms to attack the National Rifle Association, and we expose another left-wing dark money clearinghouse, the Proteus Fund. Last week, we took note of the Washington Post publishing, and then semi-retracting, a tendentious smear against conservative author J.D. Vance by a writer associated with the radical left group Political Research Associates. This week, the unfounded smears continued. The victim was a Trump administration official in the Wage and Hour Division, Leif Olson, and the writer wasn't an openly ideological activist, but rather a notionally objective senior reporter for Bloomberg Law, Ben Penn. Penn alleged that Olson had published, quote, anti-Semitic Facebook posts and reported that he resigned after they, quote, surfaced. Olson had made reference to the stereotype of neoconservatives being Jewish and the conspiracy theory that Jewish interests controlled the media. Penn got a quote from the liberal anti-Semitism watchdog Anti-Defamation League, run by former Obama administration official Jonathan Greenblatt, finding the posts anti-Semitic, and that was that. Olson resigned and the Department of Labor accepted. However... In context, some of which was omitted from Penn's published screenshots, it was clear that Olson was in fact mocking the defeat of notorious anti-Semite, alt-right figure, and one-time ostensible politician Paul Nealon by then-House Speaker Paul Ryan in a 70-point drubbing. Olson had sarcastically taken on the voice of Nealon's cheering squad, who had hyped his campaign as evidence of a rising populist nationalism aimed at Ryan, seen as insufficiently supportive of then-Republican nominee Donald Trump, whom the Speaker had endorsed after Trump won the Republican nomination. Olson joked that Ryan, quote, just suffered a massive, historic, emasculating 70-point victory. Let's see him and his Georgetown cocktail party puppet masters try to walk that one off. Mocking language used by the extreme right to target mainstream conservatives during the 2016 election season. A commenter on Olson's post, whose response was clipped from Penn's screenshots, praised his epic sarcasm and said that Olson, quote, speaks sarcasm as a first language, which maybe should have been hints that Olson was mocking rather than endorsing anti-Semitism. Numerous journalists from left, right, and center denounced Penn's tendentious interpretation. The Anti-Defamation League itself added a further statement, quote, we appreciate Mr. Olson's clarification that he intended to be sarcastic with his posts and accept his explanation of the content in question. Even the Washington Post's media critic, Eric Wemple, called on Bloomberg to retract the piece. There was something of a happy ending to the story, at least for Olson. At the decision of Acting Secretary of Labor Patrick Pizzella, he was reinstated to his post Wednesday evening. But there's more to Olson's story, and last week's botch hatchet job on Vance, than a stressful week for an administration attorney. Because, you see, there are very credible reports of racist and anti-Semitic infiltrators trying to influence mainstream conservative and libertarian organizations. Just last week, the left-wing website Splinter acquired emails from a racist thread reportedly known as Morning Hate, in case there were any doubt to its content, of which right-wing media figures were alleged to be participants. And while it is the right's responsibility to make itself inhospitable to racist ideologies like those espoused on the Morning Hate emails— I commend to you Tim Carney's reflections in the Washington Examiner for more on that. It does not help when conservatives espousing anti-racist sentiments, like Olson did in his thread, are smeared as racists in bad faith for immediate-term political advantage. For more on that, I commend to you Ross Douthat's thoughts in the New York Times this week. Both Carney's and Douthat's columns are linked in today's show notes, available at capitalresearch.org. 
We have noted the left's efforts to overturn long-standing constitutional norms, packing the courts to obtain partisan decisions, abolishing the Electoral College by constitutionally dubious stratagem, mandating independent redistricting commissions that in practice create democratic gerrymanders, and curtailing civil liberties, even ones won by a formerly liberal left, that prove inconvenient to the agenda of the current year. Thanks to the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, we can add another. The board voted unanimously to declare the National Rifle Association a, quote, domestic terrorist organization. In a similarly legally dubious proposition, the board's resolution ordered the city to, quote, take every reasonable step to limit business with NRA supporters, effecting a secondary boycott to coerce private individuals to cease supporting a mainstream policy group. According to Cato Institute scholar Walter Olson, such a directive might be contrary to a Supreme Court decision in Board of County Commissioners v. Umber, which limited local government's discretion to refrain from conducting business because of disapproval of a contractor's political views. The San Francisco Board of Supervisors' move is reminiscent of such high points in American politics as the Sedition Act of 1798, which criminalized false, read, political opposition, statements made against the federal government, and arch-progressive Woodrow Wilson's Sedition Act of 1918, most prominently used to imprison left-wing opponents of World War I's military draft. As Jim Garrity warns at National Review, if this declaration is allowed to stand or become a president, the consequences could be dangerous, both for political discourse as a whole, as conventional political disputes, whose participants have committed no crimes, are classified as terrorism, and for the radical left, which has its own factions, more extremist in their rhetoric and actions than the NRA. And in our final item, we continue our examination of the shifting dynamics of mega-funding of left-wing political advocacy with anonymized or semi-anonymized contributions, a practice the liberals decry as dark money when practiced by conservatives. This week, CRC investigative researcher Hayden Ludwig has an expose of the Proteus Fund, available at capitalresearch.org as the dark money shapeshifter. Proteus Fund, named for a shapeshifting Greek mythological character, was one of the earliest pass-through funders, created by Meg Gage in the 1980s to support anti-war and anti-nuclear campaigns. The fund operates a number of donor collaboratives on issues ranging from controlling election-related speech, another attack on constitutional norms, to curtailing national defense programs. Notable contributors to its pass-through collaboratives include the prominent left-wing institutional foundations, including the Ford Foundation, the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the Wellspring Philanthropic Fund, the Schumann Media Center, the Tides Foundation, and a handful of foundations associated with George Soros and his family. Perhaps Proteus's most consequential current project is its involvement with the Funders Committee on Civic Participation, a project by left-of-center funders, including foundations and labor unions, to increase political engagement among left-of-center groups. After the 2004 election, Proteus founder Gage ran a project with left-wing activist Heather Booth called Voter Engagement Evaluation Project, VEEP, that gathered feedback from left-wing foundations and funders involved in the 2004 election to see what worked, what didn't work, in spending on that election. Its goal was to encourage foundations to get more involved in elections, especially voter registration and turnout, arguably what the Funders Committee has since done. While the Proteus Fund is not the largest of the left-of-center pass-through entities, it has had great consequences on public policy, and its design arguably pioneered the modern left progressive model to employ dark money in political advocacy. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher, and if you have subscribed, thank you, and please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.